Hello and welcome back to Big Feels at Work, the show where mental health and addictions workers talk about what it's like to do this work when you have big feelings of your own. I'm Graham Panther, co-founder of the Big Feels Club and lived experience mental health consultant. I have with me Gareth Edwards, long-time lived experience consultant and getter of stuff done. <laughs> I'll take that. In mental health and addictions in various other places. Uh, Gareth, as ever, joining us from sunny Nelson, not so sunny Nelson. It is a beautiful sunny day. Very good. Gareth lives at the top of the South Island of New Zealand and constantly sends me pictures of himself at various delightful beaches. Just to <laughs> gently troll me? I don't know. I don't know. What the... I was going to say, is it like the opposite of trolling or a side, side cousin of trolling? I'm not sure what it is. <laughs> uh, so, Gareth, it's been a minute. Our first season of Big Feels at Work ended almost exactly two years ago. Wow. Yeah. So that was right at the kind of pointy end of the pandemic, end of 2020. Uh, Good news. Victorian Department of Health said, hey, let's do it again. They have funded us for another season of Big Feels at Work, which we have a million ideas about what to do with, including more episodes, more guests, and potentially some live events probably online, possibly in person. The big idea as ever is there's all this talk of adding more lived experience to our workforce in mental health and addictions, which is something that you and me have both been banging on about for years. And at the same time, we know that our mental health and addictions workforce is already chock full of people with lived experience in all sorts of roles, clinicians, managers, and many of those people aren't out to their colleagues and clients often for a million very good reasons. Mm. How do we know you're out there listening? Uh, Well, first of all, it's statistically very likely. (laughs) (laughs) If one in two of us has uh, distress and and, uh, experiences of crisis, then there's going to be a few of us working in the system. Uh, But secondly, we know this because you tell us. Um, And you email us, you you, uh, message us, you tell us how hard a gig it can be when you're in there fighting the good fight and also feeling deeply personally connected to the topic in ways that your colleagues don't always understand. Mm. Can I add a third way? Please. I think we know it because we've been it as well. Like I know we spoke in the past about our own disclosure stories, but we've also had roles where we weren't employed to be lived experience. We were employed to be researchers or evaluators or project yeah. workers or whatever. Yeah. And no, you know, it wasn't assumed that we did have lived experience. It wasn't part of the, the recruitment, if you like. So, yeah, it kind of resonates on lots of levels. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So, if this is your first time listening to the show, I encourage you to go back and listen to some of our earlier episodes. Uh, we cover a lot of the kind of foundational stuff around what it's like to walk in two worlds, you know, work in the system and also mm. possibly be... Uh, in hospital on the weekend and not tell your colleagues on Monday when you come back that that's what you were doing. Um, So go back and listen to those earlier episodes. Uh, Moving forward, we're going to do more of the same. So always asking, how could we help you feel just a little bit more supported in this really important work that you're doing? And how could we all just feel a little bit more connected as we're doing it? Okay, so today's episode... Uh, We'll be talking a little bit about the Victorian Royal Commission into Mental Health, which is the big thing that's happened since we last had had an episode. 
Uh, and then in particular, we're going to explore some of Gareth's experience of a really quite similar massive reform that happened in New Zealand's mental health system about 20 years ago. Um, focusing in particular on how do you surf such big waves of change, especially if you're already feeling overwhelmed. <laughs> overwhelmed surfing, I like it. Yeah. So, Gareth, Victoria's mental health reform is in full swing. I just hosted a conference, uh, the Three Peak Buddies put on, so Mental Health Victoria, Vimeac, and uh, Tandem put on a big conference uh, about we're at the 18-month mark since the Royal Commission's big report saying all the things that should change in Victoria's mental health system. And i got to say, certainly my feeling, the feedback on the day from that conference, the whole thing feels very much like drinking from a fire hose right now. Um, there's, there's so much happening. Um, the Victorian government said right from the start of the Royal Commission, we're going to implement every single recommendation before they even knew what they were. So there's a lot happening. Um, and I've been thinking about it as, you know, drinking from a fire hose with this added layer of, imagine you're drinking from a fire hose. Also, you've been walking through a desert for the past 20 years. <laughs> I like it. So you desperately need that water, but you're also, it's, you know, it's a lot. Well, the image that came to my mind when you, when you said it's in full swing, I was thinking, is it? It's kind of started. Like I reckon full swing might be sort of year five or seven or whatever. Yeah. But it feels like, you know, someone's opened the dam mm. on this valley that was drained, you know, and so this massive gush comes out of the reservoir and eventually it'll all settle down to be a river. But right now it's just burst through the dam walls and pouring into the valley and, you know, villages are fleeing left, right and centre. Yeah, so right now it's all white water. Yeah, we're, yeah. and we're the villages, obviously. Obviously. Uh, so just kind of zooming out a bit for today's episode, I just wanted to name that whilst there's all this happening, since I moved to Victoria 10 years ago, there's been uh, a complete recommissioning of all state services, uh, the introduction of the NDIS and into mental health. There's been a new Mental Health Act. There's about to be, you know, now there's another one. Um, the whole stepped care reform in primary, primary mental health, primary care, and now the Royal Commission, mm. which is quite a lot of things. Uh, for those outside Vic, because we have listeners outside Vic, you may well have had other big changes in your parts of the system, um, as well as just a small reminder, two and a half years of a pandemic that have been especially hard on our workforce and the communities that we serve. Yeah, for sure. So I just want to name that. And I, and I used the phrase, I wrote in my notes, you know, those outside of Vic may have seen big changes in, in, this, in their system. It's big changes in our nervous systems too, right? <laughs> all, all this change, all of this uncertainty, opportunity, you know, whether it's good or bad uncertainty, it lands in your body. And it lands in your body particularly when you have a personal connection to us getting it right. Absolutely. Because every change, you're like, oh, here it comes. <laughs> The thing I want to be better is going to get better. Oh, it didn't quite get better. <laughs> yeah, oh, dear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly that. Um, so I think of it as, you know, this emotional roller coaster. There's the fear. Oh, they're going to screw this up. Then the hope. Oh, shit. Look at all this investment. And then the fear again. Oh, they're screwing it up. 
Um, and it's that roller coaster over and over again. And and it's you know, it, it, there's there's things that are that you think are going well. There's things that you think could be better. There's things that you think aren't going well at all. And it's all happening at once. Mm. And it just really does, like I say, activate the nervous system. And then you got to go to work and do your normal job. <laughs> So all of that is preamble to, for the first episode of this brand new season of Big Fields of Work, we thought we'd start with taking a breath. <laughs> nice. So I'm going to uh, give you a little, a little tiny little guided exercise here that you can do if you want to. Basically, take your hands, assuming you're not driving while you're listening to this, take your hands and... Uh, Put them on the, your lower back, so about where your kidneys would be, if you happen to know where your kidneys would be, sort of middle of the lower back. You can put one hand there if two doesn't feel so comfortable. Some people have tight shoulders and can't get both their hands there. It's more comfortable. You can put the backs of your hands just kind of touching your lower back. And the idea of this is really simple, which is essentially to find a tender little spot on your body and just give it a little bit of support through that touch. And that's all we're doing. So taking a minute here, you might notice your breath as you do it. And you can just stay there if you like while I say these next few words. We want this show... Sure, it's, you know, it's a form of professional development in some ways, but really our highest aim here is for this show to be your soft landing spot amidst all this change and activity. So that's the, that's the simple idea, a chance to listen to some people who know a bit about what it's like walking in both worlds, just kind of having a chat. in particular today to just take a breath all right so we'll finish that there feel free to do that some more if you'd like and just listen how are we doing gareth wake me up that was beautiful thank you graham <laughs> gareth's been on a what do we call it a 10-day kind of home meditation retreat this past week and a half yeah meditation and yoga called navratri I probably said that wrong. Nine nights is what it um, technically means, but yeah. Nice. So yeah, pretty cosmic. Pretty cosmic. So you're, you're, any chance for a bit of breathing, you're, you're, you're up for. Amen. You're in. All right. So we're going to talk about uh, your experience in New Zealand, Gareth, as, as a little bit of a parallel, I suppose. Um, yeah. To what's happening here in Vic and what's happening in Australia more generally um, mental health systems around the world are kind of in this place of, of change and, and wrestling with change. But New Zealand kind of did this about 20 years ago. Full disclosure, I'm a Kiwi. I was in New Zealand at this time, but I was, I was a baby. I was just starting in my career. So not, not an actual baby. Yeah. You're not that. No, yeah, 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 no. So I was 23 and starting in mental health when I first met Gareth and you'd been you'd been at it for a while by then already um 
But the job that I got in mental health was one of the first, you know, I was a peer support worker in one of the first big peer-run agencies in New Zealand that wouldn't have existed if not for this reform 20 Absolutely. years ago. So my first question for you, just to kind of set the scene, listeners, eagle-eared eagle listeners may have noticed you don't have a New Zealand accent, Gareth. Um, no, not yet. <laughs> not yet. We're working on it. 20 years in, we're working on it. Uh, so 20 years ago, give or take, you were arriving in New Zealand fresh off the plane from Manchester as a young man. Yep. Where, where was New Zealand's mental health sector at that point when you arrived in the early 2000s? What was going on? I mean, I guess that contrast was pretty stark coming from, from Manchester and, and, you know, New Zealand's situation seemed a lot different, seemed a lot um seemed a lot less intense. So I actually left England essentially as an addictions worker, you know, and I arrived here and the addictions scene was very different and didn't have some of the very real hard problems with the, you know, the 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 so called harder drugs. Mm. I guess, you know, and I arrived in two thousand and two and so our equivalent or similar sort of process to the Royal Commission was in nineteen ninety seven. So when I say like, you know, we're not quite in full swing, I think I probably arrived as the sector was in full swing. There was lots of activity. There was lots of initiatives. There was a real sense of optimism, and I can tell you the source of that, but there was a real sense of, you know, we're on our way to making this thing better. And we're, we're, we're thinking so large, and to be honest, larger than I've ever seen, and possibly larger than I've seen since. I haven't probably stayed on track with the global you know, developments as much as I used to. But yeah, optimism, the sector itself was the sector. It always is. It doesn't seem to matter what changes and in initiatives because we're looking at, you know, 30, 40, 50 years of, of change that we need. Mm. But, you know, the, 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 the vibe was definitely let's go and do the best we can possibly do with this opportunity, very similar to Vic, it's like we've got this window, we've got this opportunity, lots of jobs, lots of money, lots of policy, um, almost too much of, like you say, you know, drinking from the fire hose. It's like, where do, and this might be pertinent to the listeners, like where do I put my energy? Yeah. How do I make my contribution in this way, whether that's in a clinical role or a policy role or, a, you know, some of the administration, research, evaluation and such, there's just so many opportunities. Yes, I can relate to that myself. We'll get to that a little bit more. Before we get there, I want to ask, so I'm, I'm kind of assuming you didn't have much of that context when you first started working in the field though, right? Like you, you're you working in support roles, you're, you're on the ground, you're kind of just piecing it together as you, as you go. Is that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I spent, I spent a year um, doing homelessness work, which is what I, what I'd finished with in the UK, I'd left as a, a homelessness worker and then started that here in Auckland, uh, in New Zealand. And, you know, very much, you know, just trying to do my own thing. I wasn't, um, my lived, my personal lived experience wasn't known. Mm. So I was still getting jobs and work just based on my qualifications. And I worked my way up through a detox in Manchester from a pot wash to a support worker or nurse aid, as they used to call them. Mm. So, you know, and because it was homelessness, you kind of saw all the sectors, you know, you see the addictions, the mental health, you see all the wards, you see all the, you know, the housing services, social welfare, et cetera. So I, I kind of, it was like a really good introduction to all the systems because I think 
that's quite pertinent for this this Royal Commission informed re- reform going forward. Mm. Um, but yeah, certainly piece it together, and then after a year or year or so, decided to get back into research, and that's when I really saw exactly what was going on behind the behind the uh, smoke and mirrors of it all. Really, yes, behind the Wizard of Oz curtain. Yeah. So, I, I guess the the big question I'm sitting with is is what was it like being in the thick of it in this once in a generation reform? Did people know the significance of, of what was happening at the time? Was there that same sense of like the emotional roller coaster? We have to get this right. What what was the kind of um, emotional experience of it? Most I remember it as being really exhilarating. Mm. You know, and like, so at that time when I arrived, you know, we had Mary O'Hagan, who's obviously, you know, driving the reform there in Victoria, a Kiwi herself, and, and she was one of our mental health commissioners. Mm. And no one in the world had a mental health commissioner who wasn't just, you know, had lived experience, but was as effective and as outspoken as Mary is. Yeah. Yeah. So, I- so, so we had these champions all over the place. So there was Mary, there was a lady called Chris Hansen, who now does the peer support work IPS, in IPS. Canada. There's a whole bunch of people who were just, you know, we had Aaron Pearson, who'd been leading Mad Pride and celebratory things, and he was part of the commission. So we kind of, it's like, it was almost like we could shoot for the stars. The thing I'm hearing in all that is a sense of community. So that's the bit that I alluded to before. So that's where the source of all this was. And that was uh, well-renowned and slightly different now, but we had this this like minds, like mind initiative. Mm. And I could speak for a whole pod on that, but the beauty of it in essence was it wasn't a health initiative. It was a stigma and discrimination initiative. So just to, to zoom out there, so this was a, a really central plank of all these changes that came out of that. You mentioned the Mason report in the late nineties, which is a, a famous kind of judge report similar in, in, in effect to what the Royal commission's report is, right? Like a, like a, a from on high statement about what's fucked and what needs to change. Yeah. Um, and one of the central planks that came from that was this, you could call it an anti-stigma campaign, but it's not really an anti-stigma campaign. It was so much more than that called, it's a mouthful, like minds, like mine, um, which funnily enough was one of my first jobs in mental health was working on that at a grassroots level, um, which is, I think is probably how we, how we met Gareth. What was the big aim of that and, and why was that so uh, special, I guess, if we're thinking about kind of building this community and movement? Yeah, well, my understanding it was two things that really made it effective. And so one of them, it wasn't health focused. So this wasn't about symptoms and treatment and yep. trying to fix a system. Yeah, This was about changing attitudes, changing behaviors, changing laws, mm. changing people's actual experience. So it was a social reform focus mm. rather than a health reform. Yep. Um, and if we just stay in stigma, it's really easy to keep it in health. But if we say discrimination, then it's, it's on the whole public sector. So that scope was really important. And even just as a concrete example of that from memory, like uh, one of the insights they had really early on was even if the treatment system was ideal, if everywhere else in your life you're facing discrimination, uh, isolation, uh, people not understanding what you're going through, that's going to be 
the single biggest barrier to your recovery. Like it doesn't matter what the treatment is. And so there was this, yeah, this really strong investment and at both ends of the scale, they had, you know, really expensive TV ads that were really well done um, with initially celebrities talking about their stuff. um, But also these grassroots things that was part of what I was doing, where you're doing workshops in the community led by people with lived experience. And they had this whole idea. I remember the the power of contact, um, which was the, the very simple idea that, the biggest thing that will shift um, attitudes about people experiencing mental distress is by meeting them. Um, and again, we said at the top of the pod, we're fucking everywhere. So you're meeting us already. <laughs> but to have specific um, settings, you know, at universities, at schools and in workplaces where you would meet um, people like us talking about our stuff um, and, you know, just like anyone else, but also but talking casually about, you know, the breakdowns and the <laughs> altered states yeah. and the, you know, whatever else. I'm meeting in a place of equity, you know, meeting in a place of, you know, level pegging. Yeah. That's the bit that was really powerful of that. Yeah. And, and you're right. So, I mean, the, the, the big celebrity thing and the, the sort of public health campaigns were really good. They were trailblazing. Nobody had really done it. It's a bit trite now, but nobody had really done it at that time. And it definitely shifted things. I think the bit that's endured and could have gone further and I hope will be picked up in this this wave of reform in Victoria mm. is that it was essentially a community development approach. Yeah. So this this anybody who's working in policy or bureaucracy or admin or anywhere where you're kind of having to interpret these commission findings and make sense of them, this is where the power is because somebody, and I'm sure Mary would probably know and probably advocate for this, somebody decided that the light minds work wasn't just going to be TV ads of famous people who had their own experiences. Yep. It was also going to be, I think, nearly 30 agencies got funding to do light minds work, yep. which meant 30 agencies had to grapple with their own discrimination and stigma issues, mm. had to employ people with the experience and support them and train them. And we ended up with this sort of nearly said army, but I don't think it's quite an army. Mm. It was pretty, pretty volatile at times, but mm-hmm. we ended up with this tribe of people yeah. who who would never get to meet each other. Yeah. You know, and this is what professions do. This is what psychiatrists, nurses, social workers, they all have their associations and professions. And this essentially gave us a default association of, of lived and living experience. Yeah, which is something we something we've talked about in Vic and other places in Australia for years is like having that, um, yeah, some kind of more of a formal sense of community of those of us working in the system with lived experience, whatever role we're in. Um, and it's sort of feel, felt so elusive. And yet, as you described this, it was almost like the, the happy byproduct of this um, investment in anti-stigma and anti-discrimination was this, this yeah. tribe. Um and that was my experience, and I look back on it now, and, and I I know I could name multiple future leaders that came from that um, workforce. So yeah. pe- people who who came in in these quite junior roles through like minds. Um, so one of our alumni is now uh, Tammy Allen is one of our mental health and wellbeing commissioners here in New Zealand. Yeah, you know, Who's, like it's it's happening. So Tammy Allen, who we should say is Australian. <laughs> So we're, yeah. we're just swapping. So we've got Mary O'Hagan over here um, in Vic now, and we've got Tammy Allen over in, in New Zealand. So yeah, Tammy, Tammy and I worked together from from 
very early on in the piece on like minds um and yeah she's now exactly she's she's really waving the flag um for lived experience right in the in the thick of it um i suppose the kind of the question that begs is is how might we get there here like so here's the thing you said happy byproduct and i don't think it was yeah i think somebody bureaucratic i mean i know gerard Bourne was there but we also had another chap whose name just escaped me but i've done a lot of work in hiv aids mm. i wish i could remember his name now but anyway i think this was architected i think they had a choice they could have just gone to three agencies and said go and deliver discrimination countermeasures yep they didn't they went wide and and one of the things they did and again i don't think this was an accident at all is they gathered us they gathered us in what you know what they call hui over here so essentially conference or symposium mm. and then we gathered sort of quarterly as well so yep. we were just around each other we were mm. just like we had a job like we were doing all these like you say workshops and education and programs and initiatives mm. to counter discrimination in our communities and that's the other thing it made everything really local yeah so we kind of you know we have people rural we have people in maori and pacific island communities like it wasn't just in the big cities the big mm. metro areas yeah um and yeah but i think the thing we need to do most is to gather is to yes. be around each other develop our way of interacting and, and, you know, and, and building not consensus, but, you know, communication, community connection, we're allowed to disagree, which is often not enough permission given for that. Correct. But, you know, we need to be amongst each other. And that's what Light Minds gave us. It gave us a vehicle to be connected. Yeah. I so hear that. And, um, I think about that com- the conference I mentioned. The I think it was, we called it the Our, Our Reform Conference, the, the Three Peaks that I um, emceed, and that's what it felt like to some degree. It's like, hey, we're all just here in a room together. This is this is good. Um, and I, th- I believe the best line of the day was, you know, <laughs> the the fact that we're here is more important than what we say. Something like that. <laughs> Gareth is referring to the fact that I called him in a panic the day before because I. I was emceeing this 500 people plus conference, having barely worked for five months with long, long COVID bullshit. And so I was like, fuck, I really, I should probably be more up with the play if I'm going to emcee this thing. What's going on? And I just called Gareth and he said, well, I don't, I, don't, I don't know exactly what's going on either, but here's a good line. He said, the fact, the fact that you're here in this room together is more important than any one thing you'll talk about today. So I said that at the end of my little intro. And then the minister picked that up and went, you know, that line, that's particularly important. And I was like, thank you, Gareth. But you're right. And that's, it's, it's, it's exactly right. And, and as you said to me, you know, we can't just do that once. We have to do that every few months, one way or the other. Yeah. And again, like if there's people listening with the power to have to say so, I would, I would make meetings and gatherings and workshops only half purposeful. What does that mean? Well, you know, if you're setting an agenda for a particular project or a development thing or even a team meeting, it's like only set half of it. Mm. Just just give us time to check in and be amongst mm. each other and, and build our connections. Because, you know, this is when we look around our sector in any profession, but particularly in, in health, you know, nurses spend a lot of time with nurses. You know, psychiatrists are in, in touch with each other and commune with each other in lots and lots of ways. Yeah. We're typically down a corridor on our own, get dragged into meetings to, you know, be a, a representative of our so-called tribe. 
we've got to build that tribe. We've got to do purposeful things to build that connection. Yeah, and when you say we there, you're, you're referring to people in lived experience roles or to, I'm also hearing there's another layer to it though, which is like, you know, those nurses, those <laughs> those psychs, those social workers, those uh, policy workers with lived experience who are, they're, they're mingling with their discipline mm. and that's one tribe, but they're not necessarily mingling with, the lived experience tribe. And so that's the other layer to it as well, I think. Oh, and that's just a fresh version of hell. I've, I've been there myself. Right? It's a very, very difficult place to be. And and I do genuinely feel there's a, there's a possibility where we are in history right now to do that differently. I don't know how, I don't know how it works. I don't know how we'll do it. Um, but even say at this, at this three peaks conference we had, it was, you know, it was Vimeac tandem. So the, so Vimeac is the, uh, consumer peak body tandems, the care peak body in, in Victoria, mm. but also mental health Victoria. So, you know, peak body of, of mental health workers. And one of the things I was very aware of throughout the day is that the lines between those three supposed, you know, that that's a Venn diagram, right? Like this, mm. as I said at the start of the day myself, I, I fit all three boxes. I've, I can be called a, Certainly can be called a consumer. That's no secret. Um, I have a, a, you know, you could call it a care experience. My partner's been suicidal many times. Um, and I've been a mental health worker in lots of different disciplines. So, yeah, clearly these are not uh, hard and fast boundaries. Something that, that, I, that we'll be exploring more and more on the show, by the way, because that's such a timely question is, is you know, where, where are these lines? Uh, but to kind of just wrap a bow on this um i suppose the yeah there's there's kind of a there's a nice uh possibility there from what you're saying i'm hearing a couple of things i'm hearing the real power of that sense of community as something Mm. that needed to be built right and and as you say it didn't happen overnight like the Mason report came out late nineties. And then by the time you're in, in New Zealand, it's what, 2002, 2003. So it is kind of five, Mm. five or six years in. So it, so we can think of this as like something a little bit on the horizon perhaps, and we'll, we'll do whatever versions we can get of it right now. I think big fields at work is a, is an example of that right now. You know, how can we do, how can we do whatever we can with what we've got to feel a little bit more connected? So there's that sense of building a community, um, and then there's this also uh, this idea that it doesn't have to happen all at once. Like, so when you say creating spaces to come together that are only half purposeful, what I hear in that is more important than the to-do list is the connection. Absolutely. And and as you're speaking, one of the things that I think we could do differently this time that we possibly couldn't have done, you know, in 2002 or the late 90s, because because of the nature of the the arc that we're on, mm. is is we can make our lived and living experience spaces much more welcoming. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> so I have this loose hierarchy of shites that I sort of carry around in my head. And it used to be, well, it used to be you don't count unless you've had an inpatient experience. Yeah. But if you've had an inpatient experience, you don't really count unless you've been sectioned and been compulsorily treated. Yeah. 
And then the, the tier below that is maybe you've had some outpatient experiences, but definitely specialist services. And tier below that, you know, GP, but you never made it to hospital and blah, blah, and on it goes. Yeah. And, and I feel that has really shifted over the last, the last 20 years that I've been involved. Mm. It shifted a little bit too far, like when the Royal mm. Commission was in its, in its pomp. There was this, you know, well, we've all got lived experience. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Louise Burns rightly says, you know, we have all got lived experience, but, you know, that isn't the same as saying that it's all the same thing. Correct, yeah. So we should welcome everybody. Everybody's got lived experience of something on that, you know, those hideous spectrums of well-being. Hmm. But we need to make sure our lived and living experiences fit for purpose. And I think a way to do that is to become more inclusive, not exclusive. Completely. And the thing I'll say there, just again, from the messages I get and the conversations I have with people in all sorts of roles, in manager roles, in policy roles, who tell me stories like I was either I was in hospital over the weekend and I'm not going to tell anyone at work mm. on Monday, or as I hear quite a lot as well, I didn't go to hospital because I knew I'd see my fucking colleagues. Yeah. There's this kind of... Um, I just want to point out, perhaps it's really obvious, but just because you're working in a clinical role is no, there's no correlation between the role you're working in and how, and the depth of your personal experience. Does that make sense? Like, so. Absolutely. Yeah. There's, there's a lot there and it's rich and there's a lot to unpack. Um, and as I say, we'll get into that in future episodes. My last question for you and we'll finish here. Um, if 20 years ago, Gareth was coming to work over here in Vic right now, yeah. thinking, how can I be most effective without burning myself out completely? What advice would you give yourself? I mean, straight off the bat, I'd say start moisturizing your face. <laughs> <laughs> it was 20 years ago. Sun's pretty fierce over here. So what was the question again? What, how could I do it without burning out? Yeah, not not getting sunburned, uh, getting burnt out. <laughs> um, it's a little bit fast forward. I'll, I'll make it eighteen years ago because that's when I did take my first lived experience role. Mm. Went, well, in the lived experience role, you just got to find your people, and even if it's one, if you get two, you're lucky. If you can get three colleagues, and you know you can just share the journey with, and you know you and I are that. We we found each other in about two thousand and six. I think yep. six, seven, yep. you know, like if you can find those people, you've got that affinity with, and you're both navigating this, that's, that's essentially your peer-based support and supervision. And, you know, that can track through your whole career. I think if I said to the guy 20 years ago, the Gareth who arrived, not disclosed, mm. definitely look after yourself, fill your cup, know when to quit. Mm. I ended up in a few roles that were just too close to the to my bone, mm. and and they they made things very difficult. Um, I, I guess I guess don't assume it's going to be fine. Say more. Well, if you're that person who's you know like I did go to hospital, I didn't. I did go and see my GP, or I didn't, or I didn't get counselling, or or whatever, like just be really gentle and kind, and recognise you essentially in the lion's den hmm. without people knowing that, you know, you're also a lion, you know, like, yeah. So you, you're going to get it 
in all or, directions. Without people knowing you're an antelope, I think is the... <laughs> nice, yeah, I'll take that. So, yeah, so, so that kind of real... Don't assume that it should be fine because it, it isn't. If you're sitting with your lived and living experience, trying to do good work, hearing all the awful things people say when they think patients aren't there, seeing all the awful things that happen and then having awful experiences yourself yeah. or for your family or your friends or loved ones, then, yeah, that's that's a tough place to be and needs attention, needs awareness, needs compassion, self-compassion. And if we take that back to the smallest possible step, because I'm hearing, I'm hearing mm. we're talking about community and we're talking about the kind of where New Zealand got to and how long that took. And then you're saying you start with one person, right? Start. Yeah, so even if, even if you're not disclosed, I think if you can find someone yeah. who knows what you're going through, who knows that you're doing a tough job in a, in a difficult personal situation, yeah, that outlet, yeah, don't carry that burden yourself. Yeah, and that, you know, sometimes the, the smallest version of that step is finding a resource like this and listening to it. Um, we say this through Big Feels Club a lot, like one person you can be just a little bit more honest with can be life-changing and even that can take time to find so you start with what you got um and so just to kind of finish off on that the other part that you're naming there for me is is finding a way to be honest with yourself um that's it that's that's the first bit because yeah. for years, you know, because obviously, for, you know, different times and all the rest of it, but for years I walked around in these roles going, I mean, we didn't have a lived experience workforce then, even though I worked in addictions where everybody knew just about everybody had some sort of personal connection to the work. It was just unspoken. It was just yeah. so obvious. Yeah. But in mental health, it was much more stigmatized. Um, and I think just being able to walk home from work or get on the bus or whatever and just go, yeah, that's 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 a tough day because they're talking about people they're talking about them those people with bipolar and i got diagnosed bipolar and yeah that's a lifetime diagnosis and they're yep. talking about me they're talking yep. about me you know yep. Yep. so yep. just recognizing that's a real tough place to be yeah yeah that yeah. honesty yep. yeah exactly that this is this is hard mm. this is a tough gig Please do as soon as you can start moisturizing. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. Sounds great. Beautiful. All right. Thank you, Gareth Edwards. Uh, this has been Big Fields of Work. We're back. We're going to have a bunch more episodes. We're going to have some guests. Uh, if you're not signed up to our mailing list already, uh, which is separate to the Big Fields Club mailing list, the Big Fields of Work mailing list is where we will let people know about. Um, new episodes and if we are going to try any live events in the future uh you can find that if you go to bigfeels.club slash big dash feels dash at dash work you'll find uh all the big feels at work episodes i think i'll also just put a link on the main big feels club website when i figure out how to do that yes that's lots of dashing everybody's dashing in this uh commission <laughs> reform <laughs> go cool. all right Cheers, Gareth. We will talk again soon. Awesome. Cool. Kaki day.